From Pain to Purpose is a show that will bring inspiration, love, and healing to your lives. It's a show that will teach you that your trials and tribulations in life is only temporary and that it's only preparing you for your greatest calling. A show that will give you the courage to share your story with the world and not care what others may think or say. For your story is the key that will unlock someone else's prison. What was meant to kill you, God used it to prosper, restore, and strengthen you. To always remember that without pain, your purpose cannot be fulfilled into the power that God has ordained you to walk in. From Pain to Purpose by Aisha Monique. Stay tuned. Speak your truth. Hello and welcome to Pain to Purpose podcast with your host, Aisha Monique. Today on episode 31, we have Miss Drea Banks. Welcome to the show, Drea. Hello, hello. Tell us a little <coughs> bit about Drea Banks. Okay, so um, I am a very sexual person. Um, I like to explore different things, different kinks, different fetishes. Um, I kind of sort of just like an open person. I'm very sex positive, um, real down to earth, really understanding, very motivated. Um, I'm willing to give pretty much anything a try as long as, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody else in the process. Gotcha. So how did you get in tune with your more sexual, sexual side? <laughs> um, so growing up, um, I'm a preacher's kid, granddaughter, great-granddaughter, so it just ran in the family. Um, and I always had that stereotype that preacher kids are freaks. <laughs> so um, I was really sheltered growing up. So with that being like part of my basic life of growing up, when I got 18, kind of sort of just kind of had a free for all with the world. Mm -hmm. And I just started exploring and doing different things and people that I would come in contact with show me different things. And so after a while, I was just like, this is kind of sort of what I like. Okay. So I'm just going to stick with it and keep going. Um, and then as I've gotten older, after my divorce, it was just, this is what it is. Either you like it or you don't like it. Mm -hmm. I don't care which one you pick. Okay. <laughs> so when you said different things, different things like... <clears throat> so different, um, I guess there will be like different situations. Um, so you have your typical monogamous relationships. I've done those. I've done poly relationships. Um, I've been like the unicorn. So I would be... So the unicorn is basically um, a female or a male that is brought into someone else's relationship. So I'm there basically just to please both parties. So I've done that. Um, I've done open relationships. I've done one-sided open relationships. I've been the cheater, the cheaty. So I mean, you know, everything. So how do you feel? How do you feel about being that extra person in those relationships? Um, it works when it works until it doesn't. Okay. So I feel like if. This is a relationship where you and your partner are secure with each other. You don't have any issues or you're not bringing me in to fix your relationship, then it's good. I don't mind. But if you feel like I'm going to be the the reason that your relationship works and I'm going to be the glue that puts it back together, then it's not going to work. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And tell us a little bit about your first experience. With the threesome? Okay. Um, well, yeah, that or just... Any, any sexually? Anything, yeah. Okay. Um, so my first experience, I'll do a threesome one. 
um, first experience with a threesome, it was very awkward at first, I'm not gonna lie. Um, I've always found women attractive. Um, and so I was married at that current time and my ex-husband was always cheating on me. So he was like, well, you know, why don't we just get another female? So I'm like, okay, well, if that's gonna keep you from cheating on me, then sure, we'll get another female. <laughs> so it was kind of sort of like I was forced into doing it to a degree. Um, I'm not forced is wrong, but convinced yeah. um, into doing it. So I did it, I liked it. Um, she ended up being kind of sort of our living girlfriend after that. So it was. How did that go? <laughs> like, how was that? It worked until it didn't work again. So, um, I met her on Craigslist. Um, she was married. She had a kid. Um, I moved her in, and she was just basically like the homemaker. So I was the one that was working. He didn't have a job. Um, she would take care of the kids, clean the house, cook the food, do everything that I really didn't want to do. Um, so it worked. Uh, my only rule with that whole situation was that, you know, if they were to mess around with each other during the day while I was at work, don't lie about it. If I was to ask, most likely so I'm not going to ask. Mm -mm. Because like, wow. <laughs> it's a lie. Like when you're working and then you have kids and then your partner is not working and he's just home with the kids and then you're expected to come home clean still take care of the kids cook and then fuck you like that's a lot yeah so it's just more or less like if she was gonna do all the heavy lifting and all i had to do was go home and um, go out and collect a check and then come home i mm. was fine it, it works it works until it doesn't that's different <laughs> that's very different that's very different so do you think that was the reason maybe because of your divorce like what because of what you like mm, no so um, the reason why I got a divorce was because it basically came to the point where either I was going to kill him or he was going to kill me. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was just best to go our separate ways at that point in time. So that was the reason why I got a divorce. Now we're we're cool when we want to be cool with each other. Other than that, you know. So do y'all have children? Mm -hmm, we have three. Okay. We have three kids. All right. So tell us a little bit about, I know you said it was either you kill him or he kill you. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that traumatic experience. So how did we get there? So we ended up getting married because it was either we get married and he don't go to jail or I don't marry him and he goes to jail. And now you're looking at me like, how did could we get you there? Explain, could you explain that? <laughs> OK, so what happened was um, one night we were arguing. We got into a physical altercation. He pistol with me. Um, he had the barrel of the gun pointed at my forehead, so I had the mark of the gun in my forehead. Um, basically, we fought from 10 o'clock that night till about 5.30 in the morning. Just just a physical altercation, just yelling, just... I know you were sore the next day. I was. <laughs> um, and so then we were on our way to go pick up one of his friends. So he had a firearm in the car. And so he just got mad out of the blue. Uh, he pointed it out the car window. He shot it out the car and then he put it back in the car. So my ears is ringing because I'm driving the, the car and I heard the gun go off. And so I didn't think nothing of it. So then he went, opened up the glove box, took the clip out, put it in the glove box, and then he pulled the trigger. So he pulled the trigger again. And at this point in time, my ears are just ringing even more. And so like how I was driving was my hand was between my legs and the other hand was on the steering wheel. So when I moved my hand that was in between my legs up onto the steering wheel, my finger was bent all the way back to my wrist. So at that point in time, it still didn't dawn on me that I was shot. 
Oh, he shot He you. shot me. Why I was driving? Oh, I was driving. So at this point in time, I still don't know that I'm shot. I just see my finger like all the way back to my wrist. I'm like, what, what the fuck? Like, cause I couldn't make sense of how that happened because I didn't feel pain anywhere. It was just, I saw it. So there was no blood. I'm like patting myself down. So at this point in time, I was working for 911 for Savannah. So I pulled over and my instinct is to call 911. Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, don't call. So then I'm looking at him crazy. Like, why don't you want me to call? Like, because the night before, like we just had this big argument and you're basically saying, I should kill you, I should kill you, I should kill you. Like even had the gun in my mouth, like about to pull the trigger. Like it was just a, a whole thing the night the before. Night. Okay, the night before. <clears throat> so to me, it looks like he did it intentionally. Like he purposely shot me while I was driving. So when I pulled over, he was like, I'll take you to the hospital. He's like, we're right down the road from Candler. So I go to get out the car and I can't move. I can't move my leg. I can only twist the upper half of my body. So now I'm freaking out because I'm thinking, oh shit, I'm paralyzed. So he ends up pulling me out the car. And when he pulls me out the car, it's my right leg. It just drops and spins backward. So when he shot me, he shot me in my thigh and it shattered my femur. So I felt nothing. By the time that um, we got to the hospital, because like I said, he pulled me out the front car and basically I rode from where we got shot, where I got shot at, which is like on Staley, all the way to Candler. I was sitting in one of the kids' car seats because it was in the back seat of the vehicle. So we didn't have time to move it. It was just stuff me in the back seat of the car and drive me to the hospital. So sitting in like this booster seat all the way to the hospital in pain and they get there and everybody comes running out they pull me out the car they take me to the back and then after that they lock the hospital down which i know that they're going to do because i work for 911 that's what happened when you get uh, gunshot wounds Mm -hmm. so i'm in there i'm in pain people are questioning me asking me what happened i'm looking for him like what happened with him where is he at police come they question him they questioned me and because he was the one that shot me and they had no proof that it was intentional or not, they had to move me to another hospital. Mm-hmm. The whole entire time where they're trying to separate us, I'm letting him know what's going on. And it still didn't die. No, he knew exactly what hospital I was at, what room I was at and everything. So and once so you was keeping him posted on him. Yeah, because like... So when I started dealing with him, my family didn't want me to talk to him. So it was kind of sort of like they were on the fence. So our whole relationship was pretty much me and him against everybody else. That's kind of sort of how it looked. Um, so in that moment, it was just like, I don't know what you want me to tell the police. I don't know what you're saying to the police. So it's like, I'm trying to make sure our stories match. So. He ended up telling the police the truth. I lied to the police because I'm thinking that he was going to lie, not mm-hmm. tell the truth. So everybody was just like, well, was it done purposely? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm telling them like, no, it was an accident. Like he didn't clear it. But then I have the barrel of the gun imprinted on my forehead. I have knots in my head because I had a buzz cut at this time mm-hmm. of where he hit me with the butt of the gun. So I have all these marks and bruises all on my face and on my head. And they're like, there's no way that this was an accident. So then they go back and they pull police reports. Mm -hmm. There's multiple police reports of domestic before then. So it just all looks bad. Before the marriage. 
Yeah, because I married him to keep him from going to jail. Because what they tried to do is they tried to uh, pin him with attempted murder. Oh, wow. Right. So even though I was shot below the waist, that's what the DA was trying to go for. So we went and got a lawyer. And the lawyer's like, well, the only way that she won't have to testify is if you guys get married. And so we were like, okay, well, you know, we have kids. Why not? So I went and got married. Um... And so that way I wouldn't have to testify. And after that, I heard nothing else about the case whatsoever. So. Wow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So after you all got married, mm-hmm. did you notice like a pattern of it or did it kind of stop or how was the relationship after you all got married? So it was... So after we got married, I, I got married while I was on crutches going through physical therapy for my leg and for my finger. So after that, he was kind of sort of on his P's and Q's. We really wouldn't argue. Everything was pretty much okay and good. The problem that kept happening was everybody else around us always kept bringing it back up. So I wouldn't bring it back up. I wouldn't really throw it in his face, regardless of the altercations or arguments that we had. But it's just like, people would be like, dang, he shot you, or are you okay? Or why are you on crutches? Or why does your finger look like that? And it was just like all of these things that just kind of sort of kept triggering him to an extent. Mm -hmm. So the first year and a half, it wasn't bad. It was okay. My family basically told me to pick a side. Like, if you're gonna marry him, then we don't wanna talk to you no more. We don't know who you are. We'll come and get the kids, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, like they really wouldn't deal with me. So it's literally at this point in time, it's just me, him, and kids. That's like all I had access to. That's kind of sort of all I knew. He was the one that basically uh, showed me the world and showed me all of these other things outside of what I grew up with. So it was cool. It was fine. Um, and then it just went downhill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it went downhill because he became very insecure. So. He was a a type of guy that he will find any way to make money. So he would hustle up these things and like fix computers and do all sorts of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that trait from him. So I started doing that. I got into film. So I started recording, doing photography, going to club events. So I'm out at club events. I'm dolled up, got the red hair, got the whole alter ego name and stuff. And then guys started showing me attention. Guys started trying to talk to me. So then he became very insecure. There was one night we were at a club um, and I was filming for a Sony artist and literally he was mad because the guy just complimented me. So just a compliment. That was it. I didn't entertain. I just said thank you and I kept it pushing. He drug me out of the club. I'm standing in front of our vehicle. He gets mad. He punches me in my face. Now he punches me in my face and I have family that's at this event that sees it happening, but they don't do anything. Because they don't deal with you. They don't, well, this side of the family, they deal with me, but they just didn't know how to approach it because they're friends with him, but then I'm family. So he punches me in the face and he pushes me in the trunk of the car and closes the car, the trunk of the car. So, you know, I'm, I'm back there, I'm banging on the trunk, let me out, let me out. He finally lets me out and then we just leave after that. And went home like nothing happened. Went home like nothing happened. So what do what did what did all of this do to you mentally um, and emotionally? Because or were you like suppressing it? Like how how? Because I know if that was me, but like 
I was, I'm, I'm not in that situation. I was, mm-hmm. haven't been in that situation. But I know if that was me, I would have mentally like went crazy. Mentally, yeah. Like in the beginning, not so much. It was kind of sort of like I felt like I deserved what I was getting to a degree. Like I felt like all the fucked up shit that I did in the world, this is, this is my karma. This is what I deserve. But then I think about it like I really wasn't doing a lot of fucked up shit in the world to even have that back on me but that's what I felt at the moment so I kind of sort of just tolerated and went with it um eventually it became it happening from like once every blue moon to like once a week to almost every single day and so I had already called all my friends I would cry on the phones and explain to them what happened and they're like what do you want me to do like I could come get you but you're gonna go back so what do you want me to do I had family member that was like, I'm putting a price on his head. Like, that's what I'm gonna do. That's what, and I'm like, no, don't do that because I don't want you to kill my kid's father. Like, so no. I had guys that were friends that I would talk to and they're like, I can kidnap him. I can kill him for you. <laughs> but I'm like, really? But what is that really going to solve? Because in my head, I had became codependent upon him. Yeah. I felt like I could not function in the world without him because he's the one that showed me this world that I'm currently in. So after a while, you just become numb to it. And it came from basically I would smoke, I would drink, I would do coke, I would pop pills. And that would happen like maybe once a week. And it went from that to now I have to get up every morning and do a line just to function, to be in the relationship because I don't know what I'm gonna end up with today. So it's like, if I don't feel it, him hitting on me or feel him punching me or whatever the case may be, then you know it doesn't really exist. It doesn't happen in a sense, in my head. So that's kind of sort of how I made it through most days is just being high. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I was high, he was high too. Gotcha. So he didn't see anything wrong with what he was doing to you? No. Because you was accepting it? Right. Gotcha. And what were some of like, what are some red flags to look for? Like for those women out there who's going through a domestic violence relationship right now? I'm the wrong person to tell you about red flags because I still ignore them to this day. (laughs) But I will say that most guys that try to control like how much you're spending time with your friends or always trying to remove you from your friends or make them make you feel like you have to depend on them or you don't need anybody else or or saying, you know, your family doesn't believe in you how I believe in you. Like you only need to come to me. Then that's kind of sort of red flags that I see. Um, now how I look at men, like I don't do anything aggressive. You can raise your voice at me and that'll probably be a wrap for me. So it has mentally did something to you? I would say yes, but I feel like it's for the better. So I feel like I had to go through that, that experience with that relationship in order to be the person that I am now. So I have no ill feelings towards him or what happened or anything like that. It's just kind of sort of, it happened take it as a lesson learned so you don't have to go through it again um but now like like I said a guy any I like aggressive men I do however don't be aggressive towards me in a non-sexual manner gotcha so like if we're in an argument and you raise your voice or you move too fast then it's like something in my head just clicks and then I go into defense mode which 
I always tell a person that I'm dating now or that I'm talking to now, like, yo, this is what happened. This is why I act the way I act. It has nothing to do with you, but this is just keep in mind that this is what happened. So this is now the result of that. Did the children see any of this going on? Yeah. So how did, how do you think it has affected them? Um, I don't know really how it affected the kids because they were young. So they were about five, four, maybe two-ish um, when all of this was going on. So they remember bits and pieces. So like now I can be talking and then I can mention, oh, I got shot. And my daughter will be like, wait, you got shot? Who shot you? And I'm like, shit, I don't want to tell you yeah. who shot me. Um, so it's just like, I tell them your dad shot me, but I don't tell them the story. Okay. So I feel like it's not really my place to tell them the story because I never want to make them feel like their dad is like the bad person mm -hmm. because I feel like it's both of us to blame on certain situations in our relationship. So I feel like that's a conversation that me and him should both sit down and have with them when they're older versus me telling my side and then now they're looking at him like, well, you shot mom. So like, I don't want them to ever see their dad in a negative manner. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so when did you get to the point like enough is enough? Like I can't deal with this no more. Like wh when was your breaking point? Um, so my breaking point was um, in the course of our relationships, like, like I said, he was always cheating on me. So we went through the whole monogamous. We went through the living girlfriend. We went through having threesomes. We went to one-sided open where he can fuck whoever he wants to fuck, but I can only mess with females. And then we went completely open to where he had a whole girlfriend and I was dating. So... And you didn't feel <laughs> type of way? I mean, you learn not to feel any type of way once you know what the rules are of the relationship. Like, it's only... You only feel some type of way when the rules are blurred or there's no understanding. So with him, it was like... We have kids, we have this place together, let's stay together for the kids' sake. But I don't fuck with you like that. You don't fuck with me like that. Cause like after a while, I stopped having sex with him because there was one night he was super high and he wanted to fuck. I didn't want to fuck because I knew that he had just fucked somebody. And the person that he was fucking was a prostitute. Oh wow. So like I didn't want to fuck with him because I knew exactly where he was at. So he got pissed, he's drunk, he's high. Um, I'm telling him no, and he punches me in my face. He breaks a bone in my face. And so I didn't, I didn't do anything in the moment. I let him fuck me, basically. So then the next day, I got up and I went to work like nothing happened. Yeah, so <laughs> I literally got up that morning. I probably had like two hours of sleep. I went into the bathroom. All of this was swollen. I had a knot about like right out to here on my eye. And I put makeup on, I put lipstick on, put some eyeliner on, threw a wig on at that time, and I went to work. Like nothing happened. He's like, you can't leave out the how, house. How is that so? Like, I know you say you was numb to it, but how can you just get up, like fix yourself up and keep moving? Because to me, it was like, if I acknowledge it, then then I'm acknowledging that I allowed it to happen versus, versus me just ignoring it. And it's just like, it just didn't happen because I don't want to, I didn't want to see him differently than what I've seen him. And so, like I said, I just got up, 
made did my face as best as I could, threw a wig on, and I went to work. And I pulled up at work. I was working at the YMCA downtown. And I walked in the building and everybody just was like, oh my God. My boss pulled me into his office and he was like, what happened? I'm like, I fell. Like it's a typical, I fell, I tripped conversation. And so he was like, no, this is more than a fall. So my middle son, father, uh, used to be a police officer. So I called him and I said, this is what just happened. And he was like, well, I know the whole situation with him. So I know you don't want to get him arrested or anything like that. Make a police report. He said, worst case scenario, he kills you. At least you have paperwork explaining as to why the nigga killed you. So I said, okay, cool. So they came out there, police came out there. I made the police report. I told them what happened. And because at the time I told them exactly what happened without thinking of what I was saying to the police officer, they were like, oh, so he raped you. And then I'm like, fuck, well, that's really not where I wanted to go with this. So then now it's a whole deal. So now I have to go to the hospital. So then when you go to the hospital, you have to get a rape kit done. So then it's just like, that is the most, I would say, violating feeling ever is having a rape kit done on you. Even though the the circumstances of what transpired the night before, like I understand why, but at the same time, I didn't want to go through that process. So I did all of that. Um, I didn't press charges. They didn't make me press charges or anything. They were just like, you know, the next time this happens, you know, you need to call when it's going on. So that way he can be arrested and then we can press charges, but we can't press charges because it didn't happen. You didn't call while it was going on. So I was like, okay, cool. So found out when I was there, they did x-rays, broke a bone in my face and everything else. But after that, it was just, I would get up every day, <laughs> do my face. I would go to work. Um, I stopped trying to cover it up because there was no point in covering up. I couldn't cover it up. Like mm-hmm. it was it was very visible. There was no way to cover it up. And so to me, it was just like, people are gonna look, they're gonna stare, they're gonna ask their questions. And if they ask their questions, I have no problem answering your question. Um, but it made him look bad. And so because it made him look bad, he felt some type of way because it was making him look bad. So he felt like I was purposely going out, like telling the world what he was doing to me. When, dude, you did it. I'm only just going out living my life, but you're the one who did it. So from there, um, it got to the point where I was talking to this one guy. He he's big infatuation with guns. So after I got shot, I was always scared to pick up a gun. I didn't like being around guns. I felt uneasy with people handling guns. And so when I was talking to him, he basically showed me how to handle a gun. Like he would shoot it around me. And then I just got used to being around guns. And so he was like, just use this to protect yourself. He said, that's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to kill him. I'm not asking you to shoot him. Just use it if you need it to protect yourself. So after that, I felt more confident. I felt a little bit better about the situation. And so to me, I feel like he no longer saw a a female that was scared of him to a degree. And so he, so how it all started was, he was supposed to go on a date with his girlfriend and we had a schedule where you have these days, I have these days, Sunday is family day, we stay at the house and we do something with the kids. Nobody's allowed to come to the house. That was- So they were coming over? 
no, so we would have to go out. So on my days, whoever I was talking to or I wanted to go out with, I would leave out the house. I would be gone and I just had to be back the next day. Same thing with him. And he didn't mind. He didn't mind. We did that for a few months. I met his girlfriend. Me and her have words, but you know, I met his girlfriend um, and I explained the situation to her. So with her, me and her didn't get along at first because he was lying about the whole situation. And then once I told her about the situation, I was like, you know, it's your choice. If you still want to deal with him, that's fine. But this is really what's going on. And so he had his girlfriend. I had my my coworker that I was talking to at the time. And so at that point in time, um, he brought the girlfriend over to the house, which was breaking the rule. And so I kind of sort of let it slide. And then it was my day to go out. And then he was like, oh, well, we swap days. And I'm like, well, you didn't ask me. Like, tell your girlfriend to plan your date another day. Like, you have certain days. I don't understand why you got to break it and take away one of my days because your girlfriend wants to do something on this day. So I had an attitude about it. And so um, he ended up getting mad at me and he picked up the kitchen trash can and threw it at me. And so the kids were in the living room. So usually when we got into an altercation, I'll just tell the kids to go to their room. So they'll go to the opposite side of the house. And so he threw the trash can at me and it was just like something clicked in my head at that point in time. It was just like, oh, fuck this nigga. So to me, I picked up the trash can. I threw it back at him and I just started picking up all sorts of shit and just throwing at him. So now we're just throwing shit, breaking dishes, all sorts of stuff in the kitchen. I threw steak knives at him. He threw cups at me, pots at me. Um, It was just whatever we can get our hands on, we were throwing. And so he messed around and was trying to grab something from me and hit me in my face. And I had already told him that the next time you hit me, I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. And so I think he realized that when he hit me in my face that I had said it. And it was just like I said, like something just clicked. And I was like, I'm about to kill you. And then he just immediately started apologizing. So I'm going to the room to grab my gun to kill him. He's grabbing his phone, running out the house, and he calls his girlfriend. The girlfriend calls the police because he's telling the girlfriend, she's about to kill me. She ran into the room to get her gun, and she's going to shoot me. And so she done called 911. The police are on their way. And so I'm running out the house now with the gun in my hand, and we're like running around the car at this point in time. And so he was like, yo, don't shoot me. It was an accident. I didn't mean to. And I'm like, dude, do you know how many times you hit me that you said that it was an accident and you didn't mean to? So do you really think I'm going to believe this right now? And so I was literally about to shoot him. And then he steps in front of my daughter's room window. And so at that point in time, I had to make a a decision was (laughs) like, do I shoot him and miss and the bullet go through the window and hit my kid? Or do I just kind of sort of just let it be and simmer? So I said, okay, I ain't going to do it. The The car was in the way. So all I had was a headshot. So I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) (laughs) I'll just just go in the house. I'll just call it what it is. Because I knew the police were on the way. Because he kept saying the police are on the way, the police are on the way. I'm like, okay. So now I'm looking like, okay, if the police show up and I have a gun in my hand, that looks bad too. So I'm like, okay, let me go in the house. So I went ahead, took the clip out, put the clip on the counter, put the gun on the refrigerator, emptied out all the bullets, had a bullet sitting in the cup there. And I went and sat in the room on the bed. So I, I knew the police were coming. So it's just like, damn, I'm about to go to jail. And I'm sitting there in my head thinking like, 
Shit, I've never been to jail before, so this will be new. Um, how am I going to get through this? What am I going to tell my people? Who is going to be my first phone call? Do I have money for a lawyer? I do have money for a lawyer, so that's not a problem. Like, I'm thinking all of this in my head, and he's sitting outside freaking out. Police pull up. They come in the house, guns drawn. They were like, where are the kids? Kids are in the back room. Where's the gun? Gun is on the refrigerator. Tell them where the clip is. I'm sitting on the bed. They're like, what happened? Told them what happened. I was like, he hit me in my face. I told him if he hit me in my face, I was going to kill him. And they were like, looking at me like I was dead serious. Like I wasn't joking about nothing. They were like, were you really good? Yes, I was. Like, that's how serious I am about this. And so they looked at my face and I had, it's like his nail just grazed my cheek. So I had like a cut on my face and that was enough to take him to jail. They took him to jail. They took my firearm from me. They were like, you can't get it back. You have to wait seven days to go pick it up. I was like, okay, that's fine. And um, they took him to jail and she ended up bailing him out that night. And then he stayed over there. So after that, that was the last incident to where I was like, yeah, I'm either going to go to jail or I'm going to kill you and then go to jail. So no matter how I look at it, I was going to end up in jail either way it goes. And I'm like, that's not really a place I want to be. So after that, I just decided to leave. And did it do something to like your self-esteem though? Like throughout that whole process? Yes. So I had low self-esteem. And the crazy thing about it, like, I had it and his whole thing was, how can I make you have low self-esteem? That's self-esteem, it's your fault that your self-esteem is low, it's not my fault. And I'm like, you know what, you do have a point, but you know, at the same time, like, come on, like, you know that you're this reason, like this, all this is happening. And so I had low self-esteem, I didn't really, I, I talked to people, but I really didn't talk to people. Like, I always felt like I wasn't good enough for people going through that stage. So like in the midst of our divorce, um, like after that, I ended up moving out. He moved in with his girlfriend and I ended up moving back home. And so I ended up meeting a guy from London. And so um, he pretty much built me back up to the person that I, I'm not gonna say am now because I'm not, but he kind of sort of built me back up into a better version of what I was while I was in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So he showed me like how, you should be treated while you're in a relationship, what guys should do, how you should communicate, because I was horrible at communicating then. Um, but everything that a, a boyfriend would do, that's basically what he did to me. And so that's kind of sort of how the self-esteem got built back up. Okay. And how did you find purpose through your pain? So I feel like... I had to go through all of that in order to figure out me as an individual. I was so, I felt like I was so brainwashed as a child because my parents were religious that it was don't ask questions, just do as you're told. You can't change anything. God has everything. Like that's kind of sort of what they, they basically instilled in you. It was, it was almost cult-like. That's kind of sort of what I consider it. And so I felt like I had to go through all of that to kind of sort of break free of that mentality in a sense. So yeah, it it was a horrible years and I went through a lot of shit that I shouldn't necessarily have to go through, but I found some type of benefit from going through all of that. So now to me, it's like people are who they are. You can't save anyone that that doesn't want to be saved. I've had plenty of people that try to save me before, but literally if I didn't want to leave, I wasn't going to leave. You were just doing it in vain. 
and it got to the point where my friends was like, "Yo, don't call me with the shit no more." Like, you, you're gonna you're gonna tell me the same thing. You're gonna tell me he hit you. You're gonna cry. I'm gonna be like, leave, and then you're gonna be like, no, and then you're back there again, and then we're gonna have this conversation in the next few days. So it's just like, don't call me with the shit no more. So I stopped calling people. I had no point to call people, but until I was completely over it and done and fed up with that situation, that was the only way that I could move from that situation. So what's your relationship like now with your, like, are you still friends with those people? Um, some, yeah. Like I have my middle school friends that we're still cool with. It's like one of those friends that you don't have to talk to all the time, but they can call like every six months and it's like, you've been talking to them your whole entire life. I have those type of friends. Um, I gained some friends out of that uh, relationship. Like uh, my babysitter that used to watch the kids, me and her are best friends now. Um, but my friends never really went anywhere. They just didn't want to deal with it and see me go through it. So they were like, until you remove yourself, then, you know, we don't have anything to say because we can't help you. And then the same thing with my family, like my dad's side of the family, they just stopped talking to me. My grandmother was the only one that would really talk to me when I called. But even that, she, you know, it was very dry conversation. And then once I removed myself from that situation, it's like, oh, come up here to see me. Let's take a family vacation. Like they had no problem helping me or anything like that. So, so you all have a great relationship now. You're your parents. I won't say that. It's yeah, better. It's, better, right? <laughs> it's yeah. better. Yeah, it's a lot better than what it was now. Um, my parents still don't like them to this day. Like I said, I have no ill feelings towards him. And I'm like, everybody around me hates him. And I'm like, if I don't hate him, why do you hate him? But so when you see him, you don't ugh, feel like, ugh, like no feelings? No, because I'll still fuck him. So you would? Listen. <laughs> yes. So I have. So even after all of that, um, we're better outside of a relationship. So even though he put me through all that bullshit, I got a divorce, I had relationships after the divorce, I still went back probably about two or three times after that. We still slept together. It just happens. You feel no way, no type of way. No, because I picture it as your dick. That's all you are to me. And like once I detach the person from the penis, it works. So it's <laughs> literally, it just, it's fine. Um, but the issue with that was that he didn't detach the person from the pussy. Mm. So he would catch feelings all over again where I was just seeing him as dick. And then that caused the problem because he's like, you're just using me for sex. And I'm like, well, what else am I supposed to use you for? You don't have anything else that I want but sex. Like, I know it, what it is. It's familiar. So if I can't find nobody and you're available, then, you know, that's what I was going to choose. But now, you know, I call him. He calls me. He has a girlfriend. But like when I was in relationships and me and the guy that I was with wasn't seeing eye to eye, I would pick up the phone and be like, let me tell you what this nigga did. And I would tell him what happened in my relationship. And he was like, but bitch, you're crazy. And I'm like, I understand that. But like, how can I maneuver through this? Because you know me as a person. So am I doing something wrong or is it just, you know, me overthinking the situation? So he's kind of sort of a friend, but not really a friend. If that makes any sense. So did you ever get to a point where you wanted to kill yourself? Yeah, I tried uh, three separate times. Three times? Three times. Unsuccessful in all three attempts. So what did you do? Like, did you... Gun two times, and both times the gun jammed. And there was no reason for the gun to jam. It just jammed. And where did you have it? 
TV where I where or? I try to sh- yeah it's my head and the other time in my mouth. And you wasn't scared. No, I was high as hell. I was drunk as hell, and I tried to kill myself those two times. Um, and the gun just jammed. And like I said, there was no reason for the gun to jam. It just both times. Um, the other time was I tried to OD on some heroin. That shit didn't work. I was just very high. So. And how would you describe yourself now? Um, it depends on my mood. I have mood swings. I'm not going to lie. Some days it's good days. Other days it's not. Um, but for the most part, I don't really take a lot of shit from anybody anymore. Like I'm understanding to a degree, but at the same time, if you can't understand and compromise with me, then I can't understand and compromise with you. I, I still do give people the benefit of the doubt. I try to see the good in everybody, but at the same time, it's just like, I won't put nothing past anybody either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That was like a Lifetime movie. Yes. <laughs> so have you ever thought about writing a book about your life? Do like a little video? So movie? yes, I've attempted to write a book twice. And each time that I've attempted to write a book, my ex-husband burnt it or ripped it up. So after that, I just gave up with that part. So I started doing the podcast. It's, it's kind of sort of how I started doing that. Um, and it was supposed to talk about my experiences in life, but it just didn't stay on that path. It went down a totally different path. And, and so tell us a little, little bit about your podcast. So my podcast is basically, it talks about sex, a lot of sex, um, different type of lifestyles, kinks, fetishes, relationships, um, and it's just a, an open adult conversation that you really wouldn't have unless you have that one wild friend that has a weird mind that will ask you these types of questions. Um, but I've also realized that as much as many people would think that most people wouldn't be into that type of stuff, you'll be surprised how many people is into that it's type not of stuff. About. Right. And where me, I don't have a problem talking about. It. I'm very open with talking about anything. And other people, they might not be as open, but you know, they'll still pull me to the side and have that conversation. Be like, well, yo, my my boyfriend wants me to peg him, and I'm like, okay, well, peg him. Like, what what do you want me to tell you? Like, if he wants it and he's coming to you to ask you for it, then satisfy him versus him going out getting it for somewhere else. Because if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. So. You know, but then you have some female that feel like, well, that's gay. Well, I'm like, well, if hey, he meaning take a strap on and fuck your man in the ass. So, so you don't see that as being gay? Mm-mm. I feel like because it's a female that's doing it to the guy, so I don't see it as being gay. Now, if it's a guy fucking a guy, then I feel like yes, that is gay. But even then, it could be bi curious depending on does he really like it or was it he just trying it? So. And how can they find you on social media? So social media, um, my personal page on IG is Drea underscore bangs with a Z. Um, The podcast page is coming to conclusions and that's on IG and Facebook. Um, And then I have my personal Facebook is Drea Carter, so. And how do you spell Drea? D-R-E-Y-A-H. Gotcha. Well, I thank you so much for coming on Paint to Purpose podcast and Welcome. sharing your amazing <laughs> story. Um, I just really do appreciate you. Do you have any shout outs that 
that you want to get? No, not really. Until next time, came to Purpose with Asia Monique. Thank you for tuning in to Came to Purpose Podcast. You can find each and every episode on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcast Hub, SoundCloud, and HeavyTraffic.com. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Also, follow me on Instagram at underscore pain, the number two, purpose, underscore. You can also email me at pain, the number two, purpose, podcast at gmail.com.